everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, so let's just jump right into it. First up, the developer working on translating the Sega Saturn game Blue Chicago Blues is looking for more help with the translation. This is a game that was released on multiple platforms, and developer Arjak released the first demo patch for the game, but that only gets through the end of the prologue, so about 10 or 15 minutes of gameplay out of a two-disc Saturn game. So if anybody wants, they could uh, help step up to the plate and finish the translation from the PC port or maybe others. And there's some pretty interesting stuff about this. I strongly recommend reading the Shiro post about it if you're interested, but I'll give a very quick run-through in case you're not. Basically, this game is very similar to the game Hotel Dusk Room 215, which was on the Nintendo DS. I remember buying it and really enjoying that game. I think I only had to cheat when the part where you have to close the DS because I wasn't sure if I was going to ruin my game by doing that. But uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun to go through. And it's interesting to see that the same team made this one. And it makes me think that this is a game I would probably enjoy as well. But it was also released on the Pioneer Laser Active, which is kind of neat to think that this was also a Laserdisc game. Um, and also PC, NEC, PCFX, 3DO, Saturn, and PlayStation. So if you'd like uh, to help out translating the game, please contact the developer who's doing the translation right now. And if you want some more info on this very cool game, definitely check out the Shiro post. A Kickstarter campaign was just funded for a game called Last Crown Warriors for the Game Boy Color, which seems to be a top-down Zelda-inspired action platformer. Uh, Retro Kevin just did a video on it if anybody's interested in it, and it seems like a pretty awesome game for people that are interested in that style of gameplay. The the only downside, if you'll call it that, is the intended release is quarter one, 2024, which my personal opinion on that is that just means the team's being honest and not trying to rush something to delivery. You obviously could form your own opinions about all of that, or if you'd like to fund a Kickstarter campaign, but I do think that a, a company who's released previous games on Kickstarter like this is certainly one to trust. And you know, I, I never say that to insult companies. I just always try to be very transparent about things. You could always end up losing your money on a Kickstarter, or you could end up funding a really awesome project that you end up loving. This project's already funded, so I don't really mind giving the info out here. Uh, so just check out Kevin's video and see if this is something you'd like. But for me personally, I think it looks really neat. An updated English translation patch for the Sega Saturn game Ease the Vanished Omens is now available. There's still a few more things to translate on it, but the game is now fully playable in English, so you should be able to play it with complete play it to completion without speaking Japanese at all. I believe the translation effort started with the developer Merzik using uh, just automatic translation, and then Crodkenny came in and double-checked everything and did the manual human translation to make sure everything went smoothly. So overall, as you're probably sick of me hearing, I love to hear about English translations or really any game translated to any other language just because it allows a bigger group of people to be able to experience some of these very awesome games. And whether or not it's the type of game that I would love to play, I still absolutely appreciate anybody who puts the work into doing stuff like this. So if you would like to give it a shot, definitely check out the Shiro post here. Uh, there's a bit more info about the game and the background on it as well, but you can get links to the patcher. And of course, if you are a translator that feels like going through any of the last bugs or, or translations, maybe contact the team members and let them know. This week's roundup is once again sponsored by JLC PCB. And this week, I want to start another PCB plus assembly order. 
As usual, start by going to jlcpcb.com, click on order now, and then upload your Gerber file. But this screen seems a bit different than the ones that I've shown previously, because it looks like they've added a few more options and some nicer looking buttons up top. They also seem to have added options for up to a 20 layer PCB, which is awesome and nuts, but we just need two layers for this one. And we're pretty much going to leave everything else as default. We don't need to panelize this one because the PCBs are large enough just to order them as is. And we don't need to really mess with the thickness. And while I always like to change the PCB color for production, I want to verify the bill of materials and the functionality of this again. So we're still going to leave it as green because that's kind of just how I signify things. No other options needed for the high spec stuff, but very cool to see this stuff here. All we need to do now is just enable PCB assembly in the options. And you could see which of any you need to change here. We don't need the tooling holes changed. We uh, Five quantities seems great. I don't need more or less of that. The assembly side only needs to be on the top. This particular order doesn't have any components on the bottom. And that is basically it. Um, you could try to look into anything else for it. But for me personally and for basic projects, I just think the default's fine. I just hit confirm. After that, you're going to need to upload the bill of materials file. And then, of course, you're going to also need to upload the pick and place file, which tells the machine where to put each of the components on board. You then also have to always mark off what this is. Still not really sure why for this one. Uh, but after that, then you can kind of review it and see where we're at. Now, the last time I tried to make this PCB plus assembly, we had an issue because a lot of the parts were not in stock or kept dropping off, but it looks like everything is here except the SCART port, which is not something you're going to find in any assembly. So that's going to be something for at least smaller runs you're going to have to do yourself. I imagine if you wanted to order a thousand of these, a JLC PCB would probably do it for you, but it doesn't look like there's any part shortage issues, except I can't find where the VGA connector is here. So let's continue on and see if this is an issue that we need to extend this to the next week. Uh, also, it says due to limits in package temperature and other conditions, one of the parts is only available for standard PCB assembly service. Uh, I guess I must have chosen economic PCB assembly. Don't really know what the difference is, but that's fine. Let's stick with standard uh, and then hit next. And on this page, that's where we get to verify the build for everything. So there's a few things to note. First, there's a setup fee, a stencil fee, and everything else for it, which is totally fine because that just means that they're setting up everything that you need to make these. And hopefully when you place future orders, you can have all of this here so you don't really need to worry about any of that. Um, the total cost for this, for five, is about 60 bucks, which is pretty cool, except there are some issues here. So first of all, the USB port is missing, which is one of the single most biggest pains in the butt on this design. So I have to figure that out. The ferrite bead one and two is not populated. The SCART port is not populated either, but that's fine because we knew that they weren't going to have that in stock. But there's two other issues. First, the VGA port is empty. I'm not really sure why that would be empty. We couldn't find the part before, so I'll have to check the bill of materials. And also the audio jack seems like it's sideways, but if we look here on the back, its mounting doesn't match up with the holes. This has obviously been rotated. So I have to check with JLC PCB and see exactly what's going on with this one. But 
it's very cool that their website has been updated to see all of these changes in real time so you don't have to wait until you get the parts to notice what's missing or what's on wrong. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that all of these issues, especially the missing VGA and ferret beads, are my fault, but still want to verify what's going on, and then I'll swing back around next week and update you as to what the fixes were to how to make sure this does not happen to your projects. Fixel has just opened pre-orders on the previously announced IDE emulator, which is essentially like an optical drive emulator, except you simply connect your IDE cable to it, and it should be able to emulate basically any IDE device. It looks like the initial set of features are going to do things like CD or DVD emulation, including a high-quality stereo digital-to-analog converter, DVD RAM emulation, zip disk, super disk, and hard drive emulation, and have a couple of options as well, including a separate purchased option for an LCD display with a rotary encoder, meaning you could select which of your images you want, I'm assuming, that's a guess, and an optional separate purchase of a Wi-Fi module, which I think is pretty insane because that also could potentially mean that if you purchase both, now you could have this Wi-Fi module linked to your RetroNAS or whatever other network stuff you have going on if you're a fellow IT nerd, and you don't even really have to keep your images on the device itself. So overall, this is going to really turn into being some very impressive piece of hardware. And it's not cheap. The price is $319 plus shipping. But this is really going to start out as a product that's, you know, more enthusiast focused. And I guess we'll kind of go from there. If it blows up and a lot of people want it, maybe Fixel could figure out ways to do stripped down versions for cheaper. Uh, maybe just the part shortage will make things easier some, some time away from now. But for the short term, I think enthusiasts already know who you are that wants to pre-order this. And, I, you know, one of the things that definitely jumps out to me are arcade hardware, stuff like the Konami M2, which should be working fine with this one. So I just, I'm so excited for projects like this. I love to see where they're going to evolve, and I'm really happy to see another very cool product from Fixel. So as soon as one is released, hopefully I could borrow one and just kind of give it a try, do a live stream with it, and, and see what we got, because that's pretty impressive. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to update people soon on uh, more delivery dates and stuff like that. Although Fixel did say it should chip before summer. So hopefully we'll be able to see this once the weather gets nice. If you're in the same part of the world as I am, you know what I mean. Kevin Malott has just opened another round of pre-orders on the HyperFlash 32, the e-ink screen ROM cart for the Virtual Boy that I absolutely loved. I did a review on it a while back, which pretty much is still accurate, 99% accurate. The only differences are there is another version available now, not just a black and white screen, but a black, white, red e-ink screen as well so you can get a little bit of color onto that e-ink if you would like and i just think it is absolutely awesome um, i'm really excited for projects like this and i'm extra excited because i think for a while kevin wasn't even sure if he'd be able to bake these at all because of the part shortage and in fact that's kind of what sparked him going to make the stripped down version of this i think it was the hyperboy i believe it was called um stuff always has such close names that i get them confused but it's great to see it back, and it's great to see people have another opportunity to pick it up. So for all of my fellow Virtual Boy fans out there, if you like using original hardware, I would definitely call this one a must-have, because even if you have every single Virtual Boy game out there, the Virtual Boy homebrew scene is arguably better than most of the retail library. 
Sorry to upset any VB fans here, but I loved Mario Tennis. I loved Wario Land Bound High, which I don't think was ever released. I think was a really great game, but the newer stuff like Formula V and uh, all of the new games that are coming out really just push this thing to its limits. And you could use those on a ROM cart uh, if you have the ability to. So uh, if you want to see any other cool new accessories that are homebrew stuff for the Virtual Boy, I did a live stream with Kevin a while back. The first 15 minutes go over the accessories and the rest of it is just kind of like playing different games. I should probably chop it up and make it a fancy video, but I don't have time. So if you click on it, don't get intimidated by like the three hour <laughs> length to it. The first 15 minutes is really where it's at, where you're going to want to see all of the cool stuff I was able to get for it. And of course, if you want to hear more from Kevin, I did an interview with him a while back as well. I just did a live stream with Crix's RGB Blaster, and there is so much good stuff to talk about, but one very important safety fix. This first small batch, you might even want to call it a beta batch of RGB Blasters, kind of had some sync issues. So you're going to want to do a few things to this if you have purchased it. Um, you're going to want to replace one resistor, the one that is marked 47R, uh, right next to the multi-out on the opposite side, obviously. You're going to want to replace that with, a, I would say, a 470 ohm is probably the best. I used a 200 ohm in the live stream, and it was perfectly within spec, but 470 should be a safer number. And also run a jumper wire from the right side of the resistor to the C-Sync pin that I have showed, uh, I showed here in the picture. Basically what happened was... Um, there are so many different revisions of Genesis 2 cables out there that it was a bit confusing to figure out what was the most common. And we just went through in that stream and were able to figure out how to take care of all of them. Anything that was built correctly, at least. If you buy a 99 cent cable from AliExpress, you're on your own. But if you've bought it from any of the reputable cable manufacturers, any revision of that cable, including HD Retrovision, Rad2X, whatever, should work after the fix. Don't plug, especially HD Retrovision and RAD2X, don't plug those in before the fix. And, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it happens. You know, I, I, hopefully Crix is comfortable enough with us now that anytime there's an issue like this, he could just send us the product to borrow to test out for him. I absolutely thought it was awesome working with him. And uh, we've been talking behind the scenes after to tweak this sucker even more. But it was definitely something that I would say to fix immediately if you have it just to be safe uh, and that's pretty much it now there have been a couple of people posting fixes that you could do in the cable but i strongly recommend not doing that because if you do then whenever you go to use that cable on something else in the future it probably won't work now i believe in this case if you modded the cable instead of the rgb blaster it just wouldn't work when you go to plug it into a Genesis 2. It, it wouldn't hurt anything. But it's still just something that I just think it's the best practice for all of us. You don't want to end up throwing out a cable a couple years from now because you forgot that was modded. So, Or worse, throw out a Genesis because you think it doesn't work. So I would just kind of keep that in mind. Now, the good stuff, though. And there is a whole bunch. First, while I really did spend most of the time just kind of checking the video output options, it is clear video. Now it's going through an FPGA and while it is using the CPU of the NES, you are getting digital video translated into analog. So you're going to get a clearer picture, but there 
the number one thing that really, really stood out for me was this revision Famicom that I have is extremely noisy. And in fact, I've been holding on to this one in a specific Rev Master System just to use in my videos to show how bad some of these consoles composite video output could be, or RGB in the case of the Master System. And in the live stream, I had it connected to two monitors at the same time, one with the RGB output from Crix's RGB Blaster, and the other from the Famicom's composite video output and the RGB blaster was so much better it was crystal clear not just talking about the differences between composite and RGB sorry I should have clarified I just mean jail bars versus no jail bars analog interference there just wasn't nearly as much so very very cool product the other thing that I thought was awesome uh, downside you have to connect it to your computer and run a script in order to change the palette good side it retains your palette after you power it off and you could do it in real time while the console's on. So if you're somebody that hasn't had a chance to do something like palette swapping via Mr. or the NES RGB or software emulation, now you could do that in real time, but most importantly on your setup. So if you're playing through a flat panel, those color palettes are gonna look a little different than if you're playing on a PVM or a RGB modded TV or a TV with component video inputs. A lot of little factors are involved in that. So now you can just sit there, hook your laptop up to it or something, and in real time swap the different palettes to see which you think is best for your game on your setup. There are a couple of ones there that I usually go, you know, uh, are my go-tos just because I kind of like it, even if it isn't the most accurate to the original, but there's no right or wrong answer with the palettes, whichever one you prefer. So that is another awesome one. Uh, the brightness was a little dim. Now, I do want to make sure I'm clear about this. It doesn't really mean anything. Absolute worst case scenario, turn up the brightness on your TV a little bit. There are zero safety issues in this. And like we always talk about when we're talking about these circuits, if you have an image that's too bright, at best, you wash out the image and you don't get that information back, even if you turn the brightness down. At worst, you could damage equipment. And when it's an image is too dim, like the RGB blaster, it's the opposite. There is zero safety issues whatsoever, and the worst case scenario is turning the brightness up. However, we are still messing around with it and trying to find the easiest brightness tweak should you decide that that's something you want to do. But that's not, uh, you know, the, the sync fix, I would say, is mandatory. The brightness is not, especially because all of these old consoles have a wide variance in their output. So you could get 20 Famicoms about the same serial number, light them all up, plug them all into a scaler, and all of them might be slightly different brightness. So if you have an RGB blaster from the first rev, just do the sync fix, and if it's not too dim, you're good. You don't have to worry about anything. If, uh, if you do want to boost the brightness, I might post another guide next week, uh, but it's not, it's not something you really need to worry about. Now, the next revision of RGB blasters are going to have all of these fix, fixes built right in. And in fact, the first batch was very, very small, basically more just early adopter beta tester type. So for most people interested in this, you'll never have to worry about it. Just, you know, just buy it, plug it in and go. It works on a Famicom. We've had reports of it working with light guns, which is awesome. I 
tested and double checked after the stream and it is a zero latency device can't believe i forgot to do that in the stream because that's usually what i do with these things but uh, i will post on social media once i get like a fun little minute long promo thing going for it because I'm, I'm excited about it uh, i'll post and show the proof that it is a zero lag device i've also seen it working on top loading um nes top loaders with a converter. However, audio may or may not work. Same thing with AV, uh, sorry, with um, AV Famicoms should just work and twin Famicoms, you have to remove the top or do a mod to remove the thing that blocks off the cartridge slot, but it will work with that. But same thing, you need to get audio elsewhere, but I don't think it's that big of an issue because those consoles should be able to just pull audio elsewhere or you could do an easy audio mod. So. Overall, this thing is designed for Famicoms, but you can make it work with other stuff. And hopefully, if enough of these sell, Crix will consider some kind of very unique no-cut version of this for front-loading NESs, uh, which I, I just would think is the coolest thing in the world because uh, yeah, I'm a fan of the console. And while I totally like mods and there are no-cut mods available for all of this stuff, I just think it would be super neat to be able to walk into a toaster, plug it in, plug something into the bottom expansion port, and there you go. There's your RGB mod. And I guess you could also integrate expansion audio and all of that stuff as well. So as you can tell, I'm very excited about this thing. Um, if you want to see all of our work in real time, the live streams there, it's really nerdy. I mean, I, I left it uh, public just because I thought people might be interested. But I've been trying to do this thing where I do the live streams and then I follow up with a post and then a social media quick one minute video telling everybody read the post or see the live stream. Let me know if you think that's okay, but uh, I just always try to be honest. You know, some stuff it's like, hey, if you're a modder, you have to watch this if you want to get it right. Other stuff it's kind of like, eh, skip to the end, read the post, go back to the live stream if that's something that's entertaining for you. Chris from Displaced Gamers just posted a video explaining how speedrunners are able to use an exploit in Castlevania for the NES to scroll through screens faster. And while I'm definitely oversimplifying all of this just uh, to try and entice you to watch the video, it really did kind of break my brain a little bit to figure out how this worked. So the very short overview was that speedrunners figured out if you did a very quick tap on the controller in a very specific spot, it would glitch the game and allow you to scroll through screens. And while that information was passed around and different speedrunners were using slightly different versions of the trick, Chris explained exactly how and what is going on in the code when that happens. So this is one of those videos that, while I'm obviously a fan of all of his stuff, uh, I really appreciated this because while I'm just barely smart enough to understand what he's talking about, it was really fascinating seeing the examples and the footage of the speedrunners and then the code and what was going on when that was exactly happening. So if you're into anything remotely like this, definitely check out that video. I think you'll really enjoy it. My Life in Gaming just posted a video talking about the 4K Gamer Pro and the M Classic, and I think Mark absolutely nailed it. Now, one of the first thing Mark said in the video was pretty much the same thing I said, in that depending on your TV, how far away you sit from it, your source material, and your eyes, you could have a completely different opinion on it. And the only thing that really matters is that neither of these devices add lag. I've tested a bunch of different ways for both of them. So it really is a preference-based 
thing. Now, the video went through comparison shots, side-by-side -side shots. Mark was kind enough to write a lot of that in written form here if you're somebody that prefers to read stuff or just kind of wants to go back and forth because you could reference these still shots in Mark's post as well as the one in the video, which I personally love doing it that way so I could just kind of check it out on a nice monitor and see side-by-side. -side. There are Two things that I have to mention though. One thing that I didn't quite agree with with Mark and one thing that I 100% agreed with. So what I did not agree with was that his opinion based on his TV, how far he sat from it, all the stuff I just word vomited. His opinion was that using the 4K Gamer Pro on its lowest setting was his preferred way to use it. Although doing it that way does give results that are kind of similar to cranking up the sharpness on TVs that have good sharpness processing. We'll get back to that in a second. Whereas my findings were that the ringing that was in the highest setting of the 4K Gamer Pro, the ringing that drove Mark absolutely crazy in his testing, I thought in many cases was worth it because of the much higher sharpness level that you get. So there's still, you know, I guess everybody's got their group of trolls, right? The M cable trolls are people who just think it's a magical piece of equipment that renders their game in 8K. And the 4K Gamer Pro trolls are people that tell me it's exactly the same as turning the sharpness up on your TV. Depends on the mode, I guess. So maybe you're half right, trolls. Except that really just comes down to your source content and once again, how you think it looks. Because there were definitely some scenarios, especially with PC monitors, which are notorious for terrible scaling of images. Most, not all, but that I really found when I had it on the highest sharpness. And then especially if you add scan line filters, I honestly thought that was awesome. Now, I am a little bit biased because some Genesis consoles, especially with certain types of cables, you already get ringing on there. So while it's not correct, it might be what your eyes are already used to, depending on your setup. So that's basically it. Just, you know, went back to what I've said twice already in that it's really just up to you. But that was the only kind of agree to disagree thing. What Mark did talk about that is something that I was shocked about the past few years is on some TVs, the sharpness setting actually sharpens up the image to, to the point where it feels like it is actually doing more of an integer scale and not just a smooth stretched scale, which is fine for TV, but not so much for video games. And previously, remember, I've, I'm an old man that's been testing these panels since they were first released, but for a long time, whenever I turned up sharpness, all it did was just give this weird glowy ringing effect to things or or add more processing. There were a couple of monitors that when you turned off all of the processing, it dropped the lag. But when you turned on any one of them, the lag started to climb up. I don't remember if sharpness was one of those, but I had burned it into my brain from years and years of testing to say, always turn your sharpness to zero, no matter what, double check on the forums to see, because there were a couple of bugs where you had to have it set to one instead of zero or on certain TVs. But that was really in my brain permanently until I tried that Arcuda gaming monitor when I said, oh man, this thing looks, looks terrible. Ha, let's try the sharpness. And when I turned it up, it looked gorgeous, especially in the, you know, in the context of a scaler built into a panel. But that's really got me thinking, and apparently the same thing happened to Mark during this video. Maybe some of these TVs would actually benefit from cranking your sharpness up. Hopefully, there are some TVs out there that do a real sharp scale and not just add 
sharp plus a ringing effect or however else that they do it. But I guess that's really, once again, and for the last time, up to you, your TV, your content, and your eyes to decide. But the one thing I will say for sure is if you're even remotely interested in this stuff, watch the My Life in Gaming video because it's just perfect. It's a perfect example of everything except the highest sharpness mode. Watch mine for that and lag proof if you would like. But overall, I think it's, it's very cool. And, uh, you know, once again, I still just don't like the M cable in most scenarios. I've tried to like it. I've wanted to like it. I've had people brutally make fun of me for not liking it. I still just don't like it. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just released a video about the GBA HD project. Now, there are so many of these projects nowadays. A couple of years ago, the only option was Woozles, and then we've had just a large array of TV out options released for the Game Boy Advance, ranging from absolutely terrible to pretty darn amazing, and this one seems to be absolutely awesome. This one was created by Svenergy and is now being sold as a kit from, as both a kit and some completed units from Consoles for You. So, um, I don't want to take anything away from Tito's video. I would strongly recommend checking the video out, checking out the links, going to consoles for you to see if this is something that you want to purchase. But there are a few things to note. It's not an easy mod. It's totally doable, but this is a mod for people who have experience, who truly enjoy the soldering side of projects. If you're the type of person that's like, I have totally fine soldering skills, I'm good at doing this, but I just drives me nuts and I don't like doing it, this one isn't for you. I mean that with love and respect. And luckily, Consoles for You is trying to sell pre-assembled versions. So yeah, that's, that's not a bad thing. But it involves removing chips from the original motherboard, soldering those back on, and then just doing a whole bunch of little rework around stuff like that and doing things in a specific order. Tito's video nailed it. So if you are into that, definitely check this out. Just a small history behind the project though. It started out as something that was totally do-it-yourself. And when it was first released, it was still kind of evolving. So it was something that you can't buy not quite done, and at the time, the uh, Game Boy Advance consoleizer, Woozles, was still able for purchase or pre-order. I think it's still available now. I haven't checked up in a while. So I really just kind of politely brushed it aside as like, okay, I'll, I'll keep an eye on this project. I'll see what's going on. And then when it eventually was finished, then the part shortage was in full force and you couldn't actually get the parts. So not only could consoles for you not get enough to build their own little runs, but even if you wanted to buy just one, they were either sold out or jacked up at insane scalper prices. So when I was talking to Jan uh, and he said that this was ready to go finally after all, you know, part shortage and everything else, I was very excited and I, I really wanted Tito to do a video on it to show everybody this as an option. So shout out to Svenergy. I did end up talking to him at one point. Seems like a very cool person. Hopefully I could interview him at some point. Um, and honestly, this is just exciting because maybe stuff like this could be ported to even other platforms that don't have as many mods for them. So hopefully that came out in a nice way. I mean that positively, like keep up the good work, but you know, less cheesy, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so shout out to Svenergy, shout out to Jan, and of course Tito for bringing all of this stuff uh, to us in a nice video. And Tito did mention that he's going to be doing a lag testing video soon, which I'm 
very excited about because I, I still think that even as much as I blab on about it, lag is still a very underrated problem. So excited for that one, but for now, check this out. And uh, just a quick shout out, Tito also did a pretty neat video about an old IBM laptop that he kind of reworked a while back. And while that it doesn't really have anything to do with retro RGB, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I just wanted to give it a shout out here as well. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, and if you hear anything that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video for the details. First up, Hotego said he was going to start looking into an Atari Jaguar core, which is very exciting. And uh, Lou had some more of the details and some pretty cool speculation. I wasn't, I didn't have time to reach out to any developer, but I know there's already a Jaguar core floating around that seems to work fine with dual RAM, still some bugs with it. So I don't know if Hotego is going to be bouncing off of that starting from scratch uh, or if it, there's going to be any other methods of creating this core. But I do know one thing, Otego also mentioned that he's looking into spinner support. So if you're a fan of the Jag, you know it's hopefully coming. Tempest 2000 with spinner support on the Mister. Now, when I say hopefully coming, I'm not putting pressure. I don't mean tomorrow. Eventually some point but so it's exciting uh next robert has posted a few more technical articles and comparisons of the new spin-off core of the playstation that runs at double the cpu clock with extra data cache uh, check out robert's social media and of course lou showed this in the video as well if you want examples but that's pretty exciting as well also core developer javier has released the zane Deslina arcade core positive I'm not getting that name right. Um, but due to the game's unusual refresh rate, there's also a 60 hertz video mode for displays that can't use the original. Now, the 60 hertz mode can cause some issues depending on which RAM module you have. So there are actually two RBF cores available to help alleviate whatever issues you have. So if the default 96 megahertz uh, core gives you trouble, try the 120 megahertz one. Um, uh, that's kind of, I made that more confusing than it is. Watch Lou's video. It's much easier than I made it sound. My bad. Also, Jimmy Stones has finished implementing the overlay simulation for Atari's Jet Fighter arcade game, which also works on the CRT. So you could either get an original resolution or high res mode. And while this core is still under development, it's not available to the public, but I think you might be able to pick it up on GitHub manually. So please check that out. And very important update for update all. Uh, if you have not updated your mister in a long time, do it right now. Because after December 31st, the old update now script will not work. Now, please listen carefully to this one. If you update today or any time recently in the past month or two, you don't have anything to worry about because update all updates itself as well. So it's this warning is only for people like I get sometimes with some of my misters that just have left it for a year and haven't updated it. Now is the time to do so. If you don't, you're probably going to have to start from scratch either with the, uh, the main updater or download the file manually. But to be honest, if you haven't updated your mister in over a year, you might look into just formatting the SD card and starting over. You obviously back up your games and saves and all of that stuff. So I just, uh, Lou did a good job letting everybody know, but I wanted to just double check the emphasis on all of this. Just run update all right now and you have nothing to worry about. Or if you've run it in the past month or so, you're cool. But if not, try to get on it or just redo your mister. 
Also, next, ultimatemister.com is selling that S-Video composite adapter for Mike Simone's YC cores. This is the one that Mike made me so I could do that live stream, and now you could just pick one up. You still have to get those cores and use them separately. You could enable it in the update all script as well if you would like. And there's really no telling what the future of this is. Will it be integrated into the other cores? Will it only be with these custom ones? Don't really know, but if this is the best solution for you, cool. If not, then you might want to hold on and just kind of see how things progress, but at least now there's an easy way to purchase it. Um, <clears throat> also, a couple more updates from Hotego. You released another beta for Kagegi and uh, released a bug fix for CPS 1 and 1.5 cores. The CPS cores were already public, so run update all, and you can get those immediately. The beta core is uh, for beta testers, for people under the Patreon, so and uh, if you're not a supporter, then just wait for that one to get public. There's also a new core for the home lab computer, and also a couple of updates to the 486 core, uh, the Tomy Tutor core, and the home lab kit. So, as always, thanks so much to Lou for doing this. I'd never be able to keep up with all of this without him, and uh, it's very cool to get all of this stuff in one place. So, thanks very much to Lou, and uh, can't really can't wait to see what happens with the Jaguar core. There's not there aren't too many spectacular games on that platform, but there's enough to make me excited for it. So, a few months ago, I was checking out a couple of games that have surround sound built into just the two audio channels, just the two left and right channels that you would normally plug your red and white cables in have surround sound embedded in them as well. And I was trying to figure out, is my receiver actually decoding these properly? Or is it doing that fake surround scaling thing? Which, depending on your movie or your game, sometimes it's actually great. Not so much for gaming, but whatever. I just wanted to know. So I started searching around for ProLogic and Dolby Surround test patterns and barely found any or any explanations about it. Maybe I was just terrible at searching, whatever. So I wanted to put together a video describing all of that. The title is mildly clickbaity, but 100% true. Surround sound hidden in two channels, which is exactly the truth. So the video gives a very brief overview of what this is and where to expect it, then shows you how to test on your receiver. And that is the number one thing about this video that I think is important. If you already know the answer to all of this stuff, if you hate my videos, whatever, that's fine. Just skip to the proper timestamp in there and play this through your receiver and change the different modes on your receiver to see if the patterns follow what you see on screen. Now, it should not matter where you get how you connect it or where you stream it from with a few little caveats. I've heard reports of some receivers with, uh, if you run it through the HDMI port, so like maybe you're using a mister or something and playing Star Fox, the HDMI signal has to flag Dolby ProLogic Surround, otherwise the receiver won't enable that mode. Mine did not do that. Mine, you just have to manually select Dolby Surround and that's it. Um, whereas a, a lot of other receivers, it worked fine, some didn't. It should work no matter what through HDMI, optical, and just basic left and right audio. That should not make a difference. Also, where you play the video shouldn't make a difference either unless somehow it's downscaling it to mono because this is once again just a stereo signal. That's it. So if you play this on YouTube and your streaming box doesn't support surround sound, 
that should be fine. You should totally work as well. Um, if you have any issues, just try multiple sources, multiple everything, and you should be able to figure out for sure if it works or not. So for me personally, I did this because I didn't want some weird effect in a game to be, you know, to my left when it should have been over to my right because I'm using fake surround. I wanted to know for sure that it was being decoded properly. And I went back and played Star Fox in the proper mode on my stereo. And holy crap, I was so impressed. Can't believe that that was a surround sound game. There's no way I could have afforded true surround back then anyway, but whatever. It was still really neat to, to hear that. But it was also really interesting to read the comments and see people who said they happened to be just listening to the video in their car and the surround worked in their car. They actually got true, you know, true surround circling around you. And of course, there's all the people that are trying to explain that it's not true surround, blah, 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 blah. If it's a channel that comes out of your rear speakers, I'm counting that as surround. You could still access this content uh, on VHS tapes, old games, whatever, laser discs. So just check the video out, see what you think. And, you know, maybe we should start keeping a list of receivers or chipsets or something of which support these older platforms and which do not because i think that might be helpful so maybe we could start that up on the wiki or something like that but overall this was a very fun video i hope it's going to be helpful for people and i do think that no matter what content you have if you see that dolby surround dolby pro logic dolby pro logic 2 emblem on there it's worth running a test and seeing if your surround sound setup is compatible with with it if you need to pick up an older decoder we'll figure that one out at some point in the future or if everything's just good to go so hopefully this was a fun one for people but also helpful as well so please help share this one because once again the tests shown in here and the basic overview i think is way more important than only gamers i think anybody that's into classic laser discs or vhs tapes might be into this as well well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports on any of the services, because videos like that ProLogic video with zero affiliate links and probably will get zero ad revenue from YouTube will never, ever be possible without your support. So thank you so much to everybody who's allowing this to happen. Please spread the word because I would love to be able to do even more and especially even more on the weird side like that. So thank you all so much and I'll see you next week.